0: Thank you, brother. Love you guys like a real family with all the bumps and bruises of it. (laughs) All right, so we are doing our Proverbs series on wisdom. I want to jump into prayer first because without prayer, nothing will happen. So let me pray and we'll jump right into what God has to say for us. Gracious Father, you are so gracious. Thank you that you have gifted us Jesus Christ and then send forth your Holy Spirit. I ask that your name would be glorified, that your honor and your renown would be upon our lips and our hearts, and that we would be singing to you in our hearts because we are so thankful to you. Keep us from sin. Keep us faithful to you. Protect us. I pray your blessing upon the words and the hearing of your message. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we are in Proverbs. Jump to Proverbs 14, 15. We are going to have one proverb for our wisdom message today because there's that much in this one proverb. I have one goal and four points. Now, just to you here, let me read the proverb and have it in front of us. Proverbs 14, 15 says, The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. The truth of this message is, very basic, that being simple-minded and naive and gullible is dangerous. It's unbiblical. And being wise and careful and discerning is biblical, and it's beneficial. And because we live in a fallen world, we need to be so wise. In heaven, you could trust everyone. On earth, you have to be very careful. So my goal for the sermon is very modest. Simply that you would be the kind of person who slows down a little bit and you think more about your actions. You think more about what you believe. Think more about why you're believing and doing what you're doing all through the lens of Jesus Christ. Or to say it another way, that you never get found in the kind of situation where someone would ask you, why did you do that? And you just said, I don't know. I just did. That's not wisdom. So to make that goal and this verse alive, I'm going to give you four points. Here are my four points. First point, the world is dangerous and we need wisdom. Second, Jesus is our filter. Third, Jesus and the popular approaches, and fourth, Jesus at the center of everything. So first, the world is dangerous, and we need wisdom. So to illustrate that, I'm going to start with a story. There's a, a famous theologian. His name is J. Gresham Machen. So he founded a seminary, but the specific instance of his life that helps us to illustrate this point is that he had fallen in love. So he fell in love with With the beautiful and exquisite, he said, Mildred Stearns in the the summer of 1920. And he said he met her at Seal Harbor. She was on vacation with her family. And he just was so utterly enthralled with her that he would now go to visit her at Boston. He said that she was devoted to him, he was devoted to her, and there was just real love. But the obstacle was that they did not share Jesus Christ. The obstacle to their marriage was that they were each in love with each other, but they could not share Jesus Christ. And she tried. He said she tried and made a real effort to believe in Jesus, but simply could not. So Machen found himself in a dilemma. He found himself in a situation where he was in love with someone that he couldn't share Jesus with. So it was a conflict between love love. And truth, what would you do in that situation? How would you respond? He chose not to marry her. But the reason I give this as an illustration is because the same kinds of things happen to us all the time, where we are in love with something that we know we should not want. And it makes it all the more dangerous because our heart fights with our mind, and we are twisted inside of us. The second illustration I'll give you is from my own life. So I was dealing with a customer, and we had uh, sold him some equipment, and we were having a real difficulty getting paid from him. So I called him. Let's call him Brandon. His real name is not Brandon. But I said, Brandon, it's Pete. I'm ready to deliver your equipment. We just got to get paid. So this is early on in my career, and he gave me a line that now I've heard many times, but it was the first time I'd heard this. He says, oh, yeah, it's great, Pete. Just bring the equipment in. I'll pay you afterwards. Just, just trust me. It's fine. So this is hundreds of thousands of dollars of equipment. And the customer is telling me, Pete, you could trust me. Just, just bring it in. I'm going I'm to pay you afterwards. Don't worry about it. My family, my job, and my livelihood are on the line. And by one foolish, simple-minded decision, it can all come crashing down. We face the same kind of simple-minded decisions over and over. Someone comes to you and says, I got this like investment. Just give me your money. Just trust me. I'll take good care of it. You could trust me. Look at me. I look really like clean. Just give me your money. Or someone comes to you and they say, wow, your spouse doesn't really treat you that good. You know, I would take better care of you. Just trust me. Or someone says, man, your life looks like it's pretty bad. You know, you should come over later. I have some drugs at my house. And it'll help you. It'll make you feel so much better. I do the same thing. You should trust me. These are the kinds of hooks that we hear. Just give me your secrets. You could trust me with all your secrets. These things have destroyed millions of people. And this proverb knows we are prone to believe everything because we are gullible by nature. We are naive and simple-minded. In fact, the fall of mankind is because we are simple-minded. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, they believed a talking snake. <laughs> they believed this talking snake had wisdom. They were so naive and so gullible and simple-minded, and it led to the fall of every single one of us. And I so I tell you this to help you realize how Dangerous it is to be in the habit of being simple-minded. It is what caused and led to the fall and sin of the world. We need to be wise. And I'm not just talking about huge, massive errors. Most of the times, it's a small little thing. That just creeps in. You didn't, it wasn't on your radar and it's getting inside of there and you're not even seeing it. But the point was from the garden, this little fruit, which seemed so small, was actually massive. Tiny little things can be huge. If you get on an airplane and it's off just a little bit, you end up in the wrong country. If you see somebody if you see somebody's life who's a train wreck and they have fiasco most of the time it can be traced back to a simple-minded foolish decision. So this is the danger. It's like poison, but not enough that you can notice it. It's a little bit of poison, but it's constant. Everywhere we go, there is poison all around us. And it's creeping in from places we can't even see. And if you take enough cyanide, eventually your whole body gets poisoned. Like Pastor Don says, Satan likes to dim the light slowly. It's like we are the frogs in the frying pan and the water is boiling ever so slowly Deception is working its way ever so slowly and it becomes unnoticeable. The danger is we live in a world, the hardest part is that we live in a world that is more deceptive than any that has ever come before it because there is more information being thrown at you than any that has ever come before it. And then to make matters worse, our hearts want to be in charge. Our hearts want to say what's true and what's not. Our hearts want to say, I have my point of view and that's the right point of view. And if you don't agree with my point of view, I'm going to block you. I'm going to cut you out. I'm going to defriend you because I don't want to hear anybody that disagrees with me. So we have deception even inside of us. And Satan is totally committed to to your confusion. He is an expert. He's a professional deceiver. He does this for his living. He knows how to pickpocket truth out of every single one of us. And certainly his favorite thing to do is to trick Christians who should know better. And so he does not want you to think truth matters. He wants you to think, you know, knowing truth is like a relative thing. It's just your perspective. It's not going to make much of a difference in your life. And so people around us have stopped caring about what's true and what's false. When you sit down with someone and you want to have a conversation about truth, they want to have a conversation about a story. They want to tell you a story. And you want to have a conversation about what's real, what's true. And they're trying to influence you. Everywhere you go, all around you, all the time, people are trying to make you not care about what is true. It is in our newspaper. It's on our television. It's on social media. It's on your neighbor who lives right next to you. My friends, it is in a pulpit on the mouth of a pastor who claims to speak for God, And they hold a Bible in their hands. Just because I stand in front of you does not mean everything I say is true. You have an individual responsibility to hear and to test every word that you hear, everything that you receive. And nowadays, there's a new perspective on everything a new perspective on diets, a new perspective on raising your kids, on money, on health, on science. there's even a new perspective on Paul. That's a thing. G.K. Chesterton had said, a good analogy, he says, if you're open to everything, you will become like a city sewer where you receive everything, all the garbage, and you reject none of it. And so, If we keep receiving all the garbage, we will become like the city sewer of the world. So as Christians, our emphasis needs to be not on what is new, but on what is true. We need truth which is solid and durable, durable, long-lasting, the kind of truth that has weathered the storms of every generation that has come before it. And that truth's name is Jesus Christ. He is our filter. That brings us to our second point. Jesus is our filter. Colossians 2.3 says, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. Why do we need Jesus as a filter? Because some of us have been this friend or have a friend who's not honest with us. They're just just—they're in our lives, and they're never really honest enough with us. But Jesus is honest. He's honest enough to tell us like it is. He doesn't leave us in the dark. He's real enough not to hide any of the difficulties. He's true enough not to keep back anything that we really need to know. And it's not ultimately some textbook. It's ultimately himself. He's the only filter that we can trust. It's, the biblical analogy for this is the biblical analogy of marriage. So having Jesus is like having the most brilliant spouse in your life. When you're married to someone who's brilliant and wise, they start to make you brilliant and wise. Jesus is going to be for each and every one of us that perfect spouse who makes us wiser and more careful and more accountable. For example, if if my wife were taken out of my life, I would be a lot dumber. I would be a lot more foolish. I would do a lot more things without properly giving them their thought, and I would be a, a little bit of a mess. But if Jesus was taken out, I would be a train wreck. You see, if I lose my wife, I lose some wisdom. But if I lose Christ, I lose everything. I am lost. I am done for. So having Jesus is like that person who's closer than anyone else. There is not another individual on this planet who is closer to you than Jesus Christ. And so he is there for your wisdom. The, the essence of what I'm saying is that the substance of your wisdom is Jesus. So whenever you remember Jesus in everything, you're remembering wisdom in everything. The goal for wisdom is to have Jesus in every decision you make. Remember Jesus, wisdom. Remember wisdom, whose name is Jesus, in everything that you're ever doing at any point in time. And so he becomes like that godly spouse, friend, lover, all wrapped up in one person. And so what I'm telling you to do is go on a walk with Jesus. Spend time with your closest friend. Have secret intimate communion with the one who will never lie to you, who's always true, always beautiful. Get as close to him and walk as near to him as you possibly can. Do not take Jesus for granted. Have him as your filter, as true wisdom. Third point, Jesus and the popular approaches. So, the way we approach the world is going to be through Christ. But the person who doesn't follow Jesus, how do they normally do it? And there's going to be, I'm going to give you three. Three of what I would call the most popular, there's more, what I'm calling the most popular approaches. So, the first approach is people who live based on what they feel. They say something like, I do what feels right to me. If it feels right, that's what I do. The second person says, I live my life based on what I see or what I can taste or what I can touch. They they live their life based on experience. And the third person, if you were to ask them, why do you do what you do? Why are you, why'd you do that? This might be the most common. Their answer would probably be, I don't know. I just do. I don't really give so much thought to it. I just live my life. So what I want to do is I want to say, okay, these are the three approaches. Did Jesus live? and follow any of these three approaches. So let's take them one at a time. First, did Jesus live his life merely and only based on how he felt? Let's look at a passage from the Garden of Gethsemane. Matthew twenty-six thirty-seven says, And taking Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And Luke had mentioned that he's sweating drops of blood, he's in agony. If Jesus lived based on how he felt in that moment, he would have been out of there in like two seconds. Thank God that Jesus does not live based merely on how he is feeling because he would have said something like this whole cross thing, you know, I don't know. I'm not really feeling this. It doesn't really feel so right to me. It feels like I'm going to get like a lot of pain out of this whole thing. So I think I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. If that's what Jesus did, we're not even here. We're not even in this room. Salvation was just over because Jesus lived like the modern person who said, I live by my feelings. And honestly, out of the three approaches, Christians probably get deceived most by this one. The way you feel for the day is what you think is true about the day. The way you feel about your life is what you think is true about your life. The way you feel about a decision It's what you think is true about a decision. But Jesus says, no, I wasn't feeling like going to the cross, but I'm still going to go. So the same way Jesus lives, not according to feeling only, neither should we. Second approach, does Jesus live his life based merely on what he can see? And taste and touched. Let me give you what he said to the Apostle Thomas. John chapter 20, 29. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen, and yet have believed. And then John 14, let not your hearts be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, What I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus is telling us there is a world beyond what you can see. Jesus died and rose from the dead because there's a world we cannot see yet. One day, yes, now we live without the sight of it. He is telling us there's a greater world that's not yet in our taste and touch, but Jesus tells us it's real. And so we follow Jesus, not living based only on what we can taste and touch and see, but like Jesus, believing there's the Father's house that we cannot see now, but it is real. The third approach, remember this one? They say to you, why do you live like you do? And that person says, I don't know. I just do. I don't, why do you make such a big deal out of it? I just live my life. This approach as well is at odds with Jesus. He would say things like, my hour hasn't come yet. For this reason I came. I came so that the scriptures would be fulfilled he ties meaning and purpose in everything that he does down to the hour down to the very minute decision imagine you bumped into jesus on the road and you asked jesus what he were doing and he said i don't know i was just living my life that would be terrible that would be our messiah who was just walking around like an aimless idiot. But that's not how Jesus is. He's so careful, so thoughtful. There is no one that is more careful than Jesus Christ. None. Not a single soul who has carefully planned everything. So he destroys any notion that we should be unthinking or thoughtless. Um, Imagine that you guys, one of you were at the cross, and you could see Jesus hanging, and you could ask him one question, and you asked him, Jesus, how did this happen? And he said, I don't know. I don't know how I got myself crucified. It just happened. That would be the end. That, that is the end of salvation. Who would follow? I wouldn't follow Jesus if he just accidentally found himself on the cross, and he told you that right from the cross. Jesus is not like that at all. He's the total opposite. He's careful. Even at the cross, he's saying words like, it is finished. Into your hands I commit my spirit. He's careful and intentional every step of the way, even to the very last point, to his last breath. He has carefully planned and been wise and prudent in everything that he has done. It's never this, well, I kind of was thinking this was the way things were going to go, or I accidentally ended up on the cross. You know, I was trying to help these people, and they didn't want it, and I, I ended up getting killed by the very same people I was trying to help. That's not Jesus at all. If Judas blindsides Jesus, then salvation's over. Because it was Jesus' plan to be betrayed before it was Judas's. That transforms the entire event. Jesus has been so thoughtful and so careful and so wise. And there's something so beautiful about that kind of life. That's the kind of life he wants us to have. The beautiful life where we are very thoughtful, careful, wise, walking in real wisdom, Basing every decision on this same Jesus Christ. There is no biblical passage that rebukes you for thinking too much. If someone comes to you and says, You think too much about that, they probably don't think enough themselves. God does not ever link wisdom and carefulness with folly or vice, it's always linked with virtue. So because Jesus did not follow any path of thoughtlessness, we should be careful as well. Thoughtful and intentional and wise in our every single action. Last point. Jesus at the center of everything. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says this, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us Wisdom from God. So find any area in your life where you are behaving unwisely and believing foolishness, and it will be because Jesus is not there. And find any area where you're behaving wisely and believing godly things, it's because Jesus is there. And the opposite of that problem is when you let those simple-minded individuals in your life, and you let them over influence you, and you listen to everything they say. Proverbs thirteen twenty says the companion of fools suffers harm. When you let that foolish, simple-minded person influence you, I'm not telling you to cut them out. I just mean there's some people that you listen to right now, whether it's a person, a show, your podcast, whatever, They're influencing you in such a way that is harming you, and you're letting them. You're seeking their counsel, and they're causing damage to your soul. That's why 1 Corinthians 15 says that bad company corrupts good morals, and you're letting the way you think be changed by what they're telling you. You guys remember the story after Jesus rises from the dead, the road to Emmaus, He's just risen. He finds two disciples on the road. And they're talking to him. And he says to them, Hey, what's going on? And they say, Didn't you hear Jesus, this we thought he was the Messiah? He's died. And Jesus spends that entire trip showing them that the Messiah actually was Jesus Christ. But do you remember the end of that story? So at the end, they they finally realize who they've been with, and then poof, Jesus disappears because he's awesome. So then they're like, wow, we just walked with the Messiah for miles. And then their minds are changed. And what happens? Then their actions change. They just made a miles-long journey in one direction, and now they go back because of what they believe. Their journey changes. Their lives are changed because of what they're thinking Now, I remember having a conversation with someone. I was having a conversation in evangelism with someone. And we were talking. Eventually, he told me his background. And we got to Jesus. And he says, oh, I believe in Jesus, but I'm not a Christian. So I was like, how does that work? He said, let me tell you. I'm going to explain it to you. I was like, okay, enlightening. He says, I believe in everything. Remember, because the simple believes everything. He says, why would I limit myself why would I restrict myself? If I believe in everything, then I can get everything. This is the kind of thought that the proverb is getting at. And what this young man and all of us need to realize is a world where we can believe whatever we want is a world that empties the cross of its power. A world where we can believe and do whatever we want is a world that says Jesus was the biggest fool because he thought he needed to die on a cross. We don't want to be told what to think and what to believe because we're sinful, we're arrogant, we're proud. We want to get to decide what we're going to believe, and when someone tells you otherwise, it Rails against everything inside of that sinful, autonomous, arrogant spirit inside of us. It's insulting. It's offensive. But what we need to realize is that a person who doesn't want to be told what to believe and what to do, that person is believing in a world without the cross. They're believing in the world without love and salvation. If... You're demanding to believe whatever you want. You give up the power of the cross. You give up the grace and the love of the cross. You demand to be left in your own sin. The stumbling block of our day is that Jesus died because some things are true and some things are false. That means the cross means we can't have self-salvation. We can't save ourselves We don't get to choose how we are saved. The cross means there's only one Savior. He was not some ignorant, misguided zealot. He was the Savior of the world. The cross tells us the world is one way, and it's not another way. The cross tells us this is true wisdom. Have you guys ever read a book Or a movie, or listen to, watch the movie, and you just wanted to meet the author. You wanted to meet the director. Having Jesus is like that. If you remember the Queen of Sheba, she had heard about this, this wisdom of Solomon. She had heard, she had like crumbs of it. So she traveled across the world because she wanted to meet this Solomon, and she was not disappointed. We do the same thing. When we encounter the real Jesus, we're going to the source. Wisdom never leaves the source. True discernment, true care and caution means that we are standing firmly in Jesus and we will never, ever, ever go anywhere else. If, if the demons were talking and they're trying to deceive people, They're saying, we can deceive them, but that person is a man or woman of God. They're gonna be hard to deceive. Do you want to be so wise that the demons know it's hard to deceive you? It's gonna be real hard to try and trick that person who loves Jesus and is in their word and is mighty and powerful, that they are a man or woman of God in prayer, that they have the Holy Spirit, that they are loving, and beautiful watching and walking with Jesus Christ. So keep Jesus Christ at the center of everything that you are, so that you are not easily deceived and you are wise. So, in closing, I call you do not be wo- naive and gullible, do not be foolish, be wise, be biblical. Walk in wisdom. When you believe in wisdom, you're believing in God. You are declaring there is a God and I know him. This world is meaningful. Walking in wisdom actually matters. Treating people with dignity and love is actually important. And so I I stand with Jesus saying, this is God's world. And I follow his son, the very son of God. So in closing of... Just practical application, I want to leave with you three questions for your own personal reflection, for your own contemplation in your specific life. So as I read them, ask them about yourself. First, who are the people you should be seeking counsel from less And who are the people you should be seeking counsel from more? Second, what is your current process for making decisions? And third, the most important of them all, is Jesus at the center of all your decision-making? Someone came up to me between the services, and they had a beautiful illustration of that. He said, Pete, when I heard that, it was like, If my life was a house, will I let Jesus be at the center of every room? Will Jesus be allowed to be at the center of every single room? In every decision, will you really have Jesus at the center of every single one of them? Consider these questions. Before you come up to the Lord's Supper, if you're a Christian, before you come, just meditate on these three questions. Ask yourself honestly. Ask God to help you to see more of Jesus. Let me pray. Thank you, Father, for your kindness. Thank you, Father, for the Word of God. Thank you, Father, for your truth and your goodness. Thank you, God, for Jesus Christ, our best friend, our spouse, our filter, our hope, our joy, our peace, everything. Thank you so much that Jesus Christ has come to this world. I pray that Jesus would be at the center of each and every one of our lives. And I ask for it all in Jesus' name. Amen.